Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is episode 177. I think today's topic is going to help an awful lot of people. I think during this weird time, uh, we're going to be talking about kind of binge eating, and this is definitely on the rise during kind of lockdowns for both men and women. And unfortunately, I think there's a stigma attached that's only towards women. But I think what people are realizing is that I think it's like 60% increase in and males are suffering from disordered eating. Uh, by dysmorphia uh, and things like that during this weird time and today's guest is a good pal jamie wright and we were talking off air well ranting off air should i say and we're like we actually better press record so jamie is uh, at jamie's diet guide on instagram and he's the owner and head coach at balance he's an msc in nutrition with a specialization in obesity and weight management he has published research which has been presented at international conferences in the uk and australia so he knows what he's talking about uh, wealth of experience along with levels of athletes from national to international even olympic uh, level competitors as well and uh, he's a he was a my protein featured author he has authored multiple books on subjects surrounding female nutrition which is definitely close to to our hearts here at swf jamie how are we sir i am very good thanks for having me on shane and Although you built me up to be really big there, I mean, I still get my mum to phone the dentist for me. So, <laughs> so that that's the style, of Jamie. Jamie is going to be. <laughs> that's the style, of Jamie. So be prepared. Bring <laughs> me back down a wee bit, just so yeah. people don't get their expectations too high. <laughs> exactly, knock myself down. Uh, so, Jamie, I'm going to let you tell your story because I think we had, we had a chat a couple of months ago on the phone about um, your story, and I wasn't aware of a lot of it. Uh, so I'm going to let you talk about your own background and then how you got it, got into this field and then we'll kind of go into the other stuff. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think that kind of the first phone call we had was was kind of great because I don't think we realized how much we had in common in a way. Um, and we were kind of chatting each other, pretend to be professional, like we're going to try and hook up our businesses. And then we're like, no, nah, let's just talk crap for a wee while here. Um, and we're just kind of going backwards and forwards and, I mean, my history with nutrition, I think kind of like you said, most people will see what the achievements have been, like the degrees and everything else that you kind of outlined there at the start. But I think um, it's kind of important to to kind of flesh out the whole story, um, I think with myself anyway, because I guess it kind of helps people understand sort of why we do what we do and why we have the specific message that we have, which is, you know, and, and shameless plug here, it is for balance, you know, balance in life. Um, and previously we actually used to be called Outwork, which, you know, is something that I used to hide behind, I guess, incredibly hard work and being so focused on what I was doing all the time and I was focusing on progression and that's sort of what, you know, so my brand, I wanted it to represent me and, and then kind of went through a period where I realized that was compensating I guess for not feeling great about myself which is kind of what we spoke about and then kind of at the start of 2020 is when we rebranded and I feel like the message now and certainly I guess how I conduct my service uh, and just life in general is a lot more akin to that balance that we that I kind of talk about and 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 do have the logo as now which just it looks a lot snazzier as well do you know what I mean so I think we're right up there with like Nike and Adidas is how cool we look. <laughs> it's top quality, like Apple, Balance, they're, they're, they're the two links. You know, Steve Jobs comes to me, so he does. Well, actually, no, he doesn't. What he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know, he was going to go with Pear to begin with, and I was like, nah, Steve, you want to go with 
Apple. It's much better. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess kind of talking about my story, um, I guess if you want to paint it with a broad brush of an overview, uh, I've kind of done everything wrong with health and nutrition that you probably could have done in a way. And that was what drove me to want to not only establish this service, but also to go and do my qualifications, et cetera, and, and kind of do everything that I, that I have done that um, you spoke about. So um, I guess from a very early age, I was quite overweight um, and that then led to me becoming more and more overweight. And it got to the point where um, I think at my heaviest, uh, this was in my early teens, I was touching around 22, 23 stone, which, you know, I know you're bulking now, but that was, I, here, if you want some tips on how to bulk, like I, <laughs> I knew how to bulk back in the day. <laughs> um, but a lot of that was actually driven by secret eating, binge eating, you know, um, not feeling great about myself and finding comfort in food. Um, and was very fortunate that my granda was as equally stubborn, if not more stubborn than I was and showed up to my door one day and demanded that I would go to the leisure center with them to train. Um, and this was kind of like my first, I guess, introduction to health and fitness and everything that that sort of encompasses. So I think he waited for like an hour and a half before I'd finally leave the house. And I remember I left with arguably the most stylish fit of all time. I had three layers on up top. So I had, I think I had two t-shirts, undershirt and a long sleeve shirt as the cover up. Um, and then a zip up jacket, which was baby blue with white arms. So very strong, very strong look. And then to go with that, a pair of three quarter length, Nice. Uh, and AstroTurf trainers. So I think as well at the time, I, I may have also had tints in my hair. So it was just, it was oh, a great... Oh, nice. And sync. Love it. I think that was my pinnacle, really. And everything since then has just been a different <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, so that was, that was kind of like my first foray into it. And... Um, you kind of look back on it now very fondly, but at the time, like I hated it and I really did not get on well with him, but now me and him are very close. So I always be grateful to him for it. Um, but he kept coming back day after day after day to bring me there. And eventually I did start to lose weight and began to feel, I guess, a bit better about myself. And I wasn't entirely sure if it was because of the weight loss itself or necessarily because it was the first time I was able to achieve it and sustain it. And also people were noticing me. So then I think that's probably where I may have began to develop a bit of a disordered relationship with weight change, um, which kind of then, you know, when people start to acknowledge your existence because you're losing weight, <clears throat> I feel like you can kind of become hyper-focused on that and believe that your entire self-worth, your entire value to the world is based around how much you weigh. And of course that's not the case. Like it's just kids are stupid. So they'll bully you for looking one way and, and yeah. celebrate you for looking another, which is, you know, children are children. Oh, well, a lot of adults do that today as well. But adults are stupid. <laughs> um, 
but it, it, that sort of initial weight loss then allowed me to get into rugby and I continued with the weight loss. I think I got down to around 100 kilos, which is what, 16 stone-ish, right? Um, and then suffered quite a bad injury. Uh, so basically, long story short, my left shoulder kind of exploded. Um, so now the collarbone sits on top of the the actual, I wouldn't even know what you call it. There's like, um, I don't know. The clavicle sits where it basically it points out where it shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's pointing it's, it's, point, it's pointing in the wrong direction. It's sitting on top of it's sitting on top of something that's not sitting in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, I've got two shoulders on one side, so it's not a good. <laughs> I'm just really big, like I'm just really big shoulders. Yeah, it's just huge. <laughs> um, but what happened then was I became so worried that I would lose all of that attention that I had, that I had gotten and kind of been forgotten uh, or would be forgotten about that it kind of pushed me into a very extreme um, relationship with exercise and certainly with restriction. So then well, I was quite comfortable with rugby because I had the sport, I had the community, I was enjoying being active. I was enjoying having the social life and, and kind of having food as something to support that. Food then became the entire focus and it really derailed, I think, the latter part of my secondary school education. Um, at least I'll use that excuse for my results. <laughs> um, but I, I became so, so hyper-focused on weight loss and not regaining weight that it actually drove me to lose uh, around about another 25, 30 kilos of weight so I was, I think at my lightest, I was about 72, 73 kilos, which for wow. someone who's about six foot two, six foot three, it's not a great look, to be honest. Um, and I, I really struggled to stay awake in school. Like I was very fatigued, very hyper-focused about my body. Um, and overall, just wasn't satisfied. And, you know, all of that and, and uh, everything that came after that, um, eventually I was able to sort of work my way out of it. Um, and that was thanks to, I guess, moving away to a certain degree and, and kind of educating myself. Um, I was exposed to, um, uh, if not by accident, uh, a mix of, of research and fitness, which I never kind of really put the two and two together because everyone used to call like researchers nerds and fitness people the jocks sort of so for two the two to go hand in hand didn't really make sense to me but I remember it being in like a men's health article and I guess my whole interest in, in research kind of spiraled from there um, but that led me to then go to uni to study sports and exercise science and my sort of relationship with health and weight became better um, I began to gain weight to to a much healthier extent um, but it was years and years of like trial and error and, and cautious and, and still like there was times when I was so afraid of carbohydrates that I would literally if I went over 150 grams a day I'd do 45 minutes on a bike just to to make up for it even if it was like 151 like I would do you know what I mean it was just it was crazy um, but I don't want to I don't want to waffle on on that too too much um Frankly, today I'm slightly more sane, just a touch, a little bit. You'd probably argue otherwise. Based the rants would say otherwise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> based on what we spoke about before we jumped on, you'd probably say otherwise. Uh, 
but it was uh, I never I guess had the had the recognition or the support or um you know the the network around me when I was at my worst to really help me get out of it and I was just very fortunate that things had happened the way that happened that allowed me to sort of work out of it myself but for many people they don't get that opportunity and so I wanted to set up a service that you know not only is is geared towards helping individuals overcome disordered relationships with themselves and with food but also to kind of help them find peace with food um let it fill that role in a, in your life that it's supposed to which is supposed to uplift all aspects of your health um and life as a whole um and then just vicariously um, i mean we've kind of extended that to working with athletes uh and things as well and, and we're very fortunate to work with a number of high level athletes um and just to preface that to a lot of those athletes who have come to work with us have come to work with us because they have had disordered relationships um and now we have the opportunity to work with them to focus on their performance and it's kind of a surprise um well not a surprise at all really that whenever you actually help the person first and not the athlete the athlete tends to flourish so yeah. i just wanted to make a quick nod to that because i know that there's a lot of sports nutritionists who get very caught up in the nuance um and maybe don't treat their clients as people a lot of the time robots. yeah yeah so um just to be a, a bit more aware of that but yeah in a nutshell uh i was an absolute disaster myself um went and got educated taught myself worked my way out of it and now we we run a service that essentially i wish i had when i was at my worst and that's me in a very waffly nutshell Oh, but I think the waffles are, are your nutshell, to be honest with you, um, on the tangents and the tirades. So I think there has to be censorship put out for, for people listening to this and uh, going ahead. <laughs> but I think what you said, thank you for, share, for sharing that, because I do think that when people are kind of looking at potential like nutritionists or they're looking at people in the industry, they may believe that we have our shit together. I can assure you, we do not. Like from work, sure me and me and Shane definitely do not. We no, we were talking about some random topics. We were talking about ice cream gifts off air, so we definitely do not have our shit together. We just pretend. That's why we're not going on camera anymore. Um, yes. So, like, I think when people are kind of looking at like fitness people and all that kind of stuff there are a lot of insecurities in those people because they're, they're looking to look a certain way to other people. And there are an awful lot of people who have had to see toward eating, but have also come out to the other side of it. And you, if you look at the people now, there's a wellness movement, there's people with body confidence movement, body image movement. And some of that's from the right place. Some of it's not from the right place. Some of it's to get interaction. Sometimes it's get to get likes and hits and all that kind of stuff. And that's not where that's not going to be beneficial. Like if you're someone who has a low enough body fat percentage and you're leaning over to make yourself look fat when you sit down and you're pinching your skin, that's not going to help someone. No. Uh, but if you're someone who has potentially gone from the other side and you're feeling more confident in your skin, that's coming from the right place. Um, and I know quite a few people talking about that who have come on uh, for that. The big question for today and the big topic is going to be binge eating because it's one of those terms and phrases that gets thrown around an awful lot. And I kind of compare it to when someone, say, scores a hat-trick on a Saturday and they call them a legend, even though they, and they've never scored a goal beforehand, they've never scored a goal afterwards. It's such a loose term and flippant term that's thrown out there an awful lot. 
what actually is binge eating and what is the difference between that and emotional eating? Um, well, binge eating is just because you have no willpower, so it is, obviously. Isn't it? That's sarcasm, Jamie. <laughs> Are we allowed to do sarcasm on the podcast? Or I, just ha- I just have to say it to people that Jamie's going to be sarcastic. Yeah. Can we swear as well? Have you met Dallas? Very true. <laughs> also, Dallas confirmed uh, Dutch as well because of his accent. Yes. Yes. Hello, my name is Dallas. Uh, <laughs> Our clogs. Um, yeah. So just to preface it, uh, it's not a willpower issue. I'm just a sarcastic arsehole. There we are. We covered all the bases. Covered tick, Jamie tick. <laughs> um, no, uh, um, I think when you're looking at a binge, like a binge can be identified by three core traits um, of, an, of an actual episode itself. So that's loss of control when you're eating. So it almost feels like an outer body experience in a way like you couldn't stop if you wanted to. Um it's usually a larger size of portion or amount of food relative to what you'd normally consume. Um, and that's not necessarily just in that instance, but also across maybe like a 24 hour period as well. Um, and then I think arguably the most significant trait of the three is that increasingly negative uh, emotional state around the episode itself. So essentially how, you talk to yourself and that narrative around yourself during or sorry before during and after the episode is sort of what that that's how you would define a binge and if you're looking at what is binge eating which is more kind of like talking about the condition itself that's more so how frequent those episodes occur so um there's a couple of different definitions out there, but the one that I kind of find is like a nice middle ground is that it's it's having these episodes that I just described of those sort of three core traits around food. Uh, it's having those episodes more than once a week for several months, um, and that's defined by the DSM, which is the diagnostic or the the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which I always get confused with. You see, like trying to remember what letters stand for abbreviations they stress me out honestly i can barely remember what my two middle names are like because the abbreviations in them (laughs) you know trying to remember all these other things impossible um and i think if if you want to look at like what's the difference between a bin or sorry what's the difference between binge eating and emotional eating i would say that binge eating falls on the greater spectrum of emotional eating because it's an emotionally driven episode so like if you look at it um, roughly or virtually almost all binges can be accounted for for a negative emotional state. So I think it's somewhere like the the research kind of shows there's like ninety percent of binges can be are, are driven by you know this negative emotional state. So frustration, anger, depression, uh, sadness, loneliness, whatever it is, like across that entire spectrum, that's what typically drives a binge. Um, and with any sort of like disordered eating pattern or eating disorder, it's like emotional eating is a dial. And if we have normal eating on one side of the dial, it's like disordered eating and then moving into eating disorders, like that dial gets turned all the way up, essentially. So that would, I wouldn't say there's a difference in a way. I would say that emotional or binge eating falls under emotional eating, but I would say 
the behaviors, the thoughts, the feelings, they can become more serious, more severe over time as that dial kind of gets turned up. And I hope that kind of makes sense because I'm an analogy kind of guy. Oh, we've got analogies questions coming up. Don't worry. Don't you worry. What about binge eating and overindulgence? You see, overindulgence is actually part of the larger kind of not well-defined um, but kind of grayish description of normal eating. Like you're supposed to overindulge at times. Like it's normal. Like to a certain degree, emotional eating is normal. Like food is, it's not just serving a purpose to fuel your body. Like for us, you know, as a society, like we use food um, to celebrate. We use food to mourn as well. Like at a funeral, what are you going to have? Are you just going to sit there and make small talk? Or are you just going to have like an infinite amount of sandwiches sitting on the table, the little triangle sandwiches that no one actually likes? Yeah. Um, you know, and then at birthdays, obviously you've got birthday cake and like the, like overindulgence at certain times of the year as well is, is normal. Like you're supposed to enjoy food at Christmas. You're supposed to enjoy food at Easter. You're supposed to enjoy certain foods on your birthday. You know, food does more than just serve a physical purpose. There's so many more aspects to health than just how your body's going to change. It's your mental health, your social um, kind of dynamics and, and sort of everything underneath that umbrella. So again, binging is always a negative. Overindulging is part of the, the larger, falls under the larger umbrella of like normal eating. So, but it's it's easy to kind of get those two confused because overindulging can look like binging if you if you kind of want to look at like you know the amount of food consumed or the types of foods consumed that we kind of have this association with you know quote unquote bad foods would be the binge foods which is also not the case, um, but the two are distinctly different based on sort of why someone would do them and how they feel about it afterwards is is kind of how I would separate them. You use a very clever boat analogy to i am very clever that's right thank you <laughs> did not say that uh, i'm editing that bit out uh can you expand on your boat analogy for binge eating because i think this describes it very poetically yeah you were telling me it's your favorite analogy of all time i think you said it's probably the greatest one ever it's not recorded so i never said it <laughs> that's a fact Shane says that. I actually texted to me once a day. So. Yeah, yeah. Show, show the text. It's kind of creepy. I have the black one. <laughs> <laughs> the text. Um, I would, what's the best way to go about it? Um, so I kind of like, I, I'm like a visual learner, like we spoke about. Like I, I love an analogy and I find it so much easier to kind of get to grasps with sort of what we're talking about. And I find the... Um, to kind of define binge eating to someone who might not know that much about it or maybe sort of unaware of their own present state. It's, it's kind of like you can use sailing to, to kind of help them understand it better. Um, and certainly sort of why someone may develop binge eating as well. So um, yeah, so it's kind of like if life is like we're sailing and our experiences in life are like going to these individual islands and, and enjoying it. And then our boat, which we're sailing in, develops over time. It gets grander, bigger, more advanced, whatever. That's kind of like the equivalent of our life as a whole. So living with binging is this same principle, except for we live in a boat which keeps filling up with water. And that water then causes us to 
maybe miss out on these experiences because we're so focused on the water or we're not quite able to get there because our boat's not going quick enough or we're not able to fully appreciate it because we're, you know, we spend more time trying to empty the water out than we do being able to focus on the island itself, you know, and we can feel very distant as well because we can see everyone else enjoying these experiences, but we can't quite get there because we're stuck in our boat that's full of water. And for some people, they might be able to manage the water quite well, but it still persists. And for other people, that boat might actually start to sink at times as well. So um, when I'm talking about the boat analogy, that water represents what leads us to binge. So I've kind of described it as there's two main ways in which that water can come in. So you've got water coming in over the sides, or um, if you want to kind of talk about it like via the weather, rain. Um, so if the weather kind of represents a difficult day and water coming in over the sides, splashing over the sides is kind of like the waves of life. So if you go through like a stressful moment or you have a difficult day at work or you hurt yourself or you know, there's a uh, death in the family or you break up with a loved one or anything, anything that's just crap. Essentially, it's going to make you feel crap. That's kind of the equivalent of water coming into the boat. And um, I suppose it's also important to throw in um, deprivation as well into that. So that would be like uh, being overly restrictive with your diet. So that's like a present day. So the water that comes in over the top or via weather would be like present day. If that makes sense. Shane's nodding at me. Shane's nodding at me, so it clearly makes sense. Um, so that water represents the present day. And for some people, they may be able to manage that really well. And they may even be able to empty all the water out of the boat and, and keep on top of that, and that's fine. And then there's other folks who may be experiencing that water coming in, but also they might have a hole in their boat as well where more water keeps flooding in and no matter how much they try to manage it, that water always keeps streaming in and they can never seem to get on top of it. And that to me would represent something that's happened in their past, which now directly influences the present, you know, so. The likes of trauma and that kind of thing. Uh, modeling from, from parents and, and certainly that childhood environment is very important. Like you look at it like, and it's so it's such an odd thing, but many of our disordered views on health are actually inherited. And I'm not talking about genetically, but just, you know, oh granny used to comment on my weight this way. Or you have to finish all your dinner, or if your parent if your one of your parents may have struggled with their weight, they would have said negative comments or they would have said you can't have this, I'm so I'm on a diet again. Those kind of things. Yeah. So basically you're you're modeling sort of what you've been exposed to for a yeah. very long time. And especially at an early age, you know, that's when we're developing our belief systems about life. Um, you know, our brains are kind of like Play-Doh at that age. So they get shaped in a certain way. And then all these experiences that come after continue to further shape that. So if it's already shaped in a way that you don't want it to, it's going to continue to be morphed further. So views that are developed at an early age may become more extreme, you know, and certainly, you see at that age as well where food's being encouraged as like a coping mechanism at times. So if you fall, here's chocolate. You know, if you've done good, here's chocolate. If you've not done good, well, you don't get that then. So it's a very reinforced reward system around food too. Um, but there's like, like that's, 
the stories which would represent that hole in the boat are so complex that it would be a complete disservice to try and dig in to try and get it into like a neat little package for the podcast because each and every person is is unique and that's one of the things that i find really fascinating about it actually is you know the what people do what they're feeling and, and why they may be feeling it are, are sort of no sorry the feelings the thoughts and the behaviors are usually very similar between people who struggle with disordered health but why they did the stories that lead up to that are always unique yeah. and that's kind of sort of why i get um really dorky about it and find it really interesting um but yeah so that's the boat analogy uh, I wish I could have done it more concise, but I'm still no. It, like it, it makes sense, and if you if you if you didn't manage to get the synopsis there of what Jamie spoke about, I would probably advise you to, to kind of rewind by like five ten minutes and see if it would make sense. It does make an awful lot of sense, but that's probably because we're kind of working with clients on a daily basis, so it makes sense to us. But if someone's in that state, they may be like, okay, now I need to listen back to this to actually see if it's if it's registering with their own headspace. Do you think the word binge eating is kind of thrown around too much in the by people or by the industry uh, to, to describe when they potentially have overindulged or, or is it kind of belittled by too many people as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's like whenever we're, I guess, working with clients a lot of them are unsure of their present position you know because there's not a huge amount of clarity and to a certain degree you know like you said binge gets thrown around so often you know i think uh netflix is like a prime example how many times you said oh i binge watched that series you know so it's it's but it's almost automatic in a way and it's been kind of warped into almost something positive you know, it's cool to binge a Netflix series, you know, so then people... horrified. Yeah, and, and, and people who struggle with disordered health often interpret things as, as hostile in a way. So say, for example, if someone said to them, oh, I binge watched that Netflix series, you know, their immediate response is going to be, um, you know, are they judging me because I binge? you know, but I binge food, but is that not good? You know, and it becomes very confusing for them in that, in that instance and everything kind of feels, it's, it's always warped back into a personal attack. So not only is the message around binging confusing, but then also the person's interpretation of it then becomes very confusing too, because they're not, again, they're not then really sure of their own present state. Like, am I, am I binging or is this willpower? Or is this, you know, what is it? Um, and that's kind of, you know, when you look at the, the statistics for the amount of people that that actually go on and, and seek support i mean like they're really they're quite condemning because i think you've only got maybe uh, depending on which demographic you're looking at you might only see between five and 15 percent of people who struggle with binging go on to seek out support and considering that a lot of those folks then have a, a comorbid so like a secondary psychiatric condition such as anxiety, stress, or in some cases, like really severe depression, you know, that's quite scary as well. You know, and, and Ireland's not really rated as being, uh, you know, a leader in, in mental health. Um, so I think like just generally we need to be more conscious 
of our language because again it could be another hurdle to people seeking out the support they need and the alternative to that is continuing to live with the condition if not the condition getting worse over time you know because these things the average sort of period in which someone would live with eating disorder um, is is several decades you know and from someone who's lived with it themselves it's not fun so we want to reduce the amount of hurdles people have to support as best we can and language is one of them what would you do to what would be the first step if you were to improve the system or the support network for people i think what we need to do is again normalize it more make people more aware of it it's the same as with mental health across the board like it's still you know i think in ireland the the immediate response to anything is on ground. Like, honestly, your head could be hanging off your shoulders and someone be saying, like, on ground. You it's know? like the, I think, like, the likes of Conor O'Keefe, who was on the Late Late on Friday when this was being recorded, and he has a new show on RT called I'm Fine. It's three lads talking about their mental health, and that's the statement is, oh, I'm fine, and nothing else is that. It's like, I'll brush it under the carpet and just cram it down. I think a lot of an awful lot of people right now have potentially pushed things down for so so long, and now because they've had more time to think about things, it's coming to the surface and a volcano has erupted. Yeah, and you've seen that with with lockdown because people have had so much time to actually critically evaluate themselves. And well, critically is the problem as well. For yeah. so so often it's so often critically like you wouldn't speak to your friend the way you probably speak to yourself. Yeah. But you'd happily be an arsenal to yourself. Happily. You know what I mean. But it's, it's, it's like, it's no surprise that whenever people are actually forced to live a life where they're not allowed to be distracted every single day and they're actually forced to look at themselves properly and realize I'm actually not that happy with myself, it's no wonder then that the mental health, like, because best believe as much as there was a pandemic of COVID, the next one's going to be mental health and it's going to be bad. Like, oh, it's, it's, I, 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 I I, I was, when I was out for the walk, like the first thing that struck me was seeing the kids back out playing in their bubbles or 15 when they're playing ga and stuff. And I was like, that's going to have a knock-on effect with how they interact with themselves, how they interact with people when they're older. And that's going to hit generations and generations for time to come. I don't think that has, that can be played, can be downplayed at all. I yeah. do think that this is here for a long time. No, and, and like our culture itself is is really bad for that. Like you know yourself, like me and you are both self-employed. Yeah. Like how often is the message to us? You need to be working every single hour of the day. Hustle, 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 hustle. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> but like, and and you, and I think when you, but I think we were talking about this with Jane and Dallas, and we we're kind of like, I think you need to recognize, and you need to have gone through the shit times in order to come out the other side and take it appreciative that what you have now. And I've done that. I've run myself into the ground. I burnt myself out of the ground. I ended up in hospital uh, with blood clots and everything because I ran myself into the ground. I rammed down depression so hard and my body just shut down. There will be a time, you're a ticking time bomb if you're pushing things down. And I don't like the whole thing of it's okay not to be okay. I hate that fucking saying. It annoys the life out of me. Yeah, you should not be okay in the first place. Like that's like Bingo. saying it's okay to have a broken leg. Yeah, no, it's fucking not. The no. leg is going to be broken. Get like, to the cause of why you got the broken leg and get to the cause of how actually actually repair that. Yeah. And like that was one of the first things we actually spoke about in the phone as well. And yeah. one of the things we had in common was that we had both ran ourselves into near oblivion, you know, and, and like 
like I was saying myself, like I, I, like we had out work before, and it represented a certain almost like a stage in my life where it was, you know, hustle, 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 work, 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 and quite honestly, didn't get as far as I do now, where I've maybe pulled my head out of my own ass and focused on other aspects of life. That because like your whole life is not your career. Like this is my this, like nutrition is my passion, and I feel like helping people is the purpose, and it's great that I get to meld the two together. But there's more to life than just living in servitude of other people. Like, and I have a great family environment around me. You know, I've an amazing partner that I'm with at the moment um, who supports me, like, regardless of how stupid the idea is, you know, and there's a lot of stupid ideas. <laughs> well, I think you have to go through the stupid shit to find the gold. Yeah. And, like, actually coming to terms with it, like, the end of 2019 was probably one of the worst times in my life you know because that's i think uh so my dad passed away like i told you all this my dad passed away um a couple of years ago and i kind of put it on the back burner for so long and hid behind my work and then eventually at the end of 2019 it sort of culminated in this huge like the mask had cracked officially and everything fell through the floor and i was left with nothing mentally you know, and that's when I went into therapy and really had like a proper look at myself. And then that was, I wish I hadn't waited till the wheels had fallen off to go and do it. You know, well, would you have done it without the wheels falling off? Exactly. That's the big question. Because I was too embarrassed. Yeah. There was too much stigma. There's too much, you know. But men, I think men, I think for men, I think, and we can only speak from a male perspective. Women, from someone who predominantly coaches women, they're a lot more open. Or the majority yeah, of them are a lot so more open. Better. So much better. As a male, I'm awful. Same. I write shit down. I use the podcast as a form of therapy as well. And we were talking about this all fair. It's like, I just go on rants. But like Dallas is incredible. Dallas will listen to me. You don't, like Dallas does not get paid enough. Dallas, you're not getting a raise. But you're not, <laughs> you don't get paid enough anyway. But because of the stuff, like I, if I go out for a walk, I start creating problems. I'm like, oh, this has to be done. This has to be done. So I was like, no, <laughs> no, you don't need that. And I think it's one of those things. It's like, you're always trying to catch yourself. out. You're trying to come up with the next thing. And there's so much shit that goes on. Like I wrote, I have a notebook here of ideas and I would say 99.9% of them are absolute and utter rubbish. Yeah. I mean, well, I love a good walk. Do you know what I mean? Like if I, it if sorts the head. If there's one thing someone can do, it's good for a walk outside. Like it's so good. I always say to the clients, if if you feel worse after a walk, I'll eat my shoe and I'll need evidence that you went for the walk. You can eat your shoe and can. I'll do it if someone feels worse after it, but they have to prove me that you went for the walk and you can't just stick your pedometer to your child or your dog. That's going to be the debut video for the OnlyFans account, is it? OnlyFans, I'm always the thing you're trying to get me to do. Only shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I th- we've gone completely off tangent. <laughs> We're not even at question four. Um, but I do think like that. I do think that unfortunately you have to go through the shit to get to the point where you want to change, and that's unfortunate for a lot of things. Um, it's kind of like you have to break your leg in order to kind of like go and seek help, and it does. It doesn't make an awful lot. Of, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. It's counterintuitive, and I think. The UK are a bit better. Mm. Um, I think they're, they're a lot more progressive. I think as well. Have you? Uh, the UK have a, 
over in Westminster anyway, they have a minister for mental health. They have the guy, they've Alex, Dr. Alex George or George Alex, whatever his name is. A uh, guy from... Love Island. Yeah. Dr. Alex, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. So he's the minister for mental health. So you actually have something to do for that. And he's also potentially coming from a background where he's been on Love Island, where a lot of people, who, which is coming on TVs in the next kind of six, seven weeks, that a lot of people are going to be bored watching other people who are potentially in half decent nick and then they're going to get triggered by what they look. I know. Yeah, been, I'm not, I think those interactions with with Caroline Flack was it Caroline Flack who wasn't it? She was. Was she Love Island? I don't really watch. She's this. Love Island. Yeah. yeah. I don't really watch the reality TV shows. Um, and I think because I know myself, I've been triggered by that show, so that's why I'm talking about it from that way. Um, well, I just also think it's shit. That's why I didn't watch it. Too busy in your OnlyFans account. Busy on your OnlyFans, trying to grow. <laughs> Trying to grow the glutes. Um, and talking talking about size. Does the size of a binge matter? Check that segue. That segue was Chef's Kiss. She very nice. This guy's professional. Professional. You'd hope after about 180 episodes. <laughs> someday. Someday. Um, does What's the size of the binge matter? Um, <clears throat> Yes and no to a certain degree. Like I, I would say that with this, there's a certain element of common sense. I mean, you're, you're not really going to be able to say you've binged uh, necessarily if you've you know had maybe a grape, a single grape. You know, that's it's not necessarily a binge, but it's it's more so how does how does it feel rather than a specific threshold to hit. I feel with the portion size. So if the if it is an emotionally driven episode and it is a, a maybe equal to if not larger portion than normal and the self-talk that that is sort of you know there throughout as well as that which comes after is increasingly critical and abusive and abrasive then i would say that would fall under the sort of the moniker of a binge but i think it, it doesn't always have to necessarily be you know, five Domino's pizzas for it to be a binge. And I feel like that's, again, sometimes where people get caught out is where they think that they need to be, you know, eating these ridiculous amounts of food to the point where they're being physically sick for it to be a binge. And it's not necessarily the case either. It's the emotion behind it and the labels attached to it. Yeah. 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 Um, we spoke, we're having, we're talking about fair about this next one, kind of about the calorie counting and disordered eating. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the truth? Like, does calorie counting or my fitness pal and all this kind of stuff does it lead to disordered eating, or is it that the tendency seems to be there beforehand? Uh, I know that a lot of people in my own like little nutrition bubble will probably swear me down for this one, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that calorie tracking is not bad. It is not inherently disordered. It's a neutral. It's a neutral behavior. Jordan, you know I mean? well, we spoke off air. Like Jordan Sire said. If you have a recipe and you follow it to the T, is it is it obsessive? Yeah, like it's 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 not it's not what you do per se because what you do can always change, but it's why you're doing it and it's how it's being practiced is how I would interpret something as being disordered. You know, so people always want to rant on about using the calories to get exactly X Y Z this and that, and for some people they might just have. A normal relationship with doing that they might like achieving those targets and for and for most folks like 
the reason why they may develop a slightly disordered practice with it is because they don't fully understand how it's supposed to be used. Like it's not supposed to be used as like a GPS giving you every single turn on the way to get there. It's supposed to be used as like a compass to point you in the right direction. You know, am I roughly getting what I need to each day to achieve this goal that I've got? Yes, and that's fine. You know, but having these mental targets that you sometimes see, you know, where it's like, you know, 1,250 calories and you need to get like 185 grams of protein and, and you know, 402 grams of carbs. And, you know, if you don't hit those little minuscule numbers, fails, yeah. fall off a cliff. I mean, yeah. I can guarantee you, and this is what we spoke about before, like all these health trackers in any way, shape or form, the health trackers themselves, whether it be the calorie counting, whether it be the step counters, whether it be, you know, counting how many calories you've burned as you're training or the workout apps that tell you how many days you've trained in a row. All of those are a way of exerting control over your health. And for people with a disordered relationship with themselves, with their health, you know, this is just an extension of that. So they're more likely to go and seek these behaviors so they can continue, you know, on this, this sort of constant path to be more and more in control to, to reach that perfection, you know, than someone who's not. So I would, I would vehemently say calorie tracking is not disordered. How you practice it can be disordered. And people with disordered health behaviors are more likely to go towards them, but that does not necessarily mean that they are disordered themselves. And I think what Jamie said earlier about the athletes is that if a client comes to Jamie or a client comes to us, it's important to coach the person, not coach the actual uh, nutrition sentiment that you believe in wholeheartedly. If someone comes to you that's vegan and they're happy being vegan, go vegan. But I'm not going to sit here and ram down my ideologies and put on my identity hat of the whole thing about veganism. Because if they believe it and they feel better for it, that's kudos to those. And if someone wants to count calories and there is a tendency that they feel comfortable doing it and they want to do it that way, amazing. But if someone's coming from a whole thing of you have to calorie count, you have to calorie count, that's not coaching. That's a dictatorship. And that's where I think the disparity between coaching can have, like where so many people have come to myself from particular coaches and they've, they may not have had a most 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 amazing relationship beforehand with themselves and their eating behaviors, and then to be just said, right here's a piece of paper, go yeah. go go. But I also think people are trying to get the quickest fix to outdo what they've been doing for years, and I think there's a disparity between the two, and it, it hurts my soul when that kind of thing of like right here's your makeshift thing, go go go. Um, is just handed out rather than actually coaching the person, getting to the psychology side of things. I know that's Dallas's thing. Is like Dallas will get to the nitty gritty and make you uncomfortable to to the point of like very uncomfortable. And he does it to me. It's not it's not only the clients to get it, and so it's like. He, but that's he he needs to understand why you do things and why you make you understand why you do things yourself. Um, in relation to kind of treatments and stuff for binge eating. What are the kind of, is there a main one or is there kind of a couple that you kind of practices that you work on people or does it, the famous word, famous Dallas sentence, it depends. Dallas didn't coin that, by the way, that was me. 
But he made a drinking game out of it. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> the Dutch. Um, uh, does Dallas drink in his clogs? Or? Uh, with, with, with his flapjack? Yeah. <laughs> with his flapjack, just clacking about the house. Just clacking about the house. Poor Neve. <laughs> God help her. Uh, no, so treatments for binging. Um, well, the bulk of the treatment sort of like, I, I would, I don't maybe like treatment so much as kind of like a rehabilitation with yourself, you know, because for most folks, binging is the end outcome. It's, it's not like, you know, you go to get treatment for like, if, if you've got diabetes or like a heart condition, um, you know, I don't know. I don't quite know what I'm trying to say here, but I don't quite like the word treatment because I feel like, a lot of people are pushed towards clinical settings for help with their mental health. And it insinuates that they are broken when really they just need support. So I don't know. We'll call, uh, it, we'll call it tools or mechanisms. Yeah. We'll go with, we'll go with uh, rehabilitation services. Uh, that's, that's kind of like what I would kind of phrase them as most of the time. Uh, but yeah, so most of, well, I would say the majority of, of the rehabilitation services um, center around psychological change. So funnily enough, um, not keto, not celery juice, not fasting. What about goop? <laughs> yeah, goop is a good one. Yeah, if you want to get a vagina-scented roll-on and just snort that all day, I'm sure that'll help. Um, or get the candles. I hope she listens to the podcast. <laughs> I might Gwyneth, by the way. I'll tag her. I'll tag her in it. I broke down the other day and had a slice of bread, so things must be going bad. Snorted a roll on too far, maybe. I don't know. Maybe one of her candles exploded again. What a mess that would be. Vagina's oh, candle exploding in your house. Yeah, I, I'm not even going down that rabbit hole. Nah, that's not. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Gwena. Uh So, yeah, so... Yeah, not a, a fancy diet or, or any kind of diet is not gonna not gonna sort the issue. In fact, trying to proactively diet whilst you're doing it is like trying to tie your shoelaces while there's a big knot in one of the laces already. Like you're just making a mess at that stage. But people will try and do it because we have also such a focus when it comes to binging. But that's that's a different that's brand. a tangent. Yeah, we're going down a different tangent. First group, now this, so we need to finish this. Um so the two most popular sort of, um, I guess, psychology-driven uh, treatments, damn it, rehabilitation services, <laughs> um, are individual CBT and then group CBT, which have both been found to be fairly effective for folks. So CBT is cognitive or stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's a form of talking therapy which helps people to develop uh, alternative ways of thinking and behaving uh, with the overall goal being to manage and alter uh, a negative emotional state or a potentially triggering, uh, triggering experience. Um, but what I really like is that um, <clears throat> NICE, which you know is a great, I like that one, they did well there. Uh, NICE, which stands for the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. They have actually recommended guided self-help, which I kind of equivocate as like developing your own sort of binge fighting toolbox in a way. Um, 
So it's kind of like Batman's toolkit for fighting off binges. Because I'm such a cool, cool guy. That's what comes to my mind. Uh, Shane just shaking his head in disgust. Shane, we're professional here. Are we? We're talking about goop. Goop's professional. What? Professional vagina candle? Makes more money than both of us. So you're telling me to make vagina candles? Is that what I've learned from that statement? I've already started marketing mine on... (laughs) Only Father Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Only candles, only scents. Uh, (laughs) Focus, Jamie. Bring it back in. I'm sorry. I'm not editing this, by the way. I don't blame you. I'll be there all day. (laughs) I think my hair will grow back quicker. I don't know, I could do it this rate. Um, I'll lend you some of mine. I'll just shave the mustache next time and donate it. Bring, you can back, add, the like, tash, bring back the tash, Jamie. Um, I'm going to. It doesn't look that great at the moment, but. Uh, that suits you. I'm not sure. What does the missus feel like with the tash? Uh, she's like. Uh, like she said before, it was a 10 out of 10, but with the mustache, solid 100 out of 10. So, and and she, well, she wouldn't like it? Never. No. <laughs> Perfect. You know, wouldn't lie to me about that. Very brutally honest when it comes to my ideas. She's straight away being like, no, no that is, that's really stupid. You shouldn't do that. Or like, you probably shouldn't say that. Okay, so now bring it back into great ideas like CBT. Yeah, so we're reading it back. <laughs> You're treating me like Dallas. I need to stick on the Dutch accent and just go off on it. Logs, flapping a flap, bang on a flapjack. National Institute for Internationals. <laughs> Oh, Dallas is going to listen back to this. I'm going to tell him. I'll send him the episode straight away. <laughs> if you're raging when he hears this back, never talk this again. <laughs> uh, Shane crossed his fingers there, by the way, Dallas, in case you don't see the video. <laughs> yeah. So, so like I was saying, so uh, I recommend this guided self-help, which is which is kind of like developing your own toolbox. Um, and I've actually got a shameless plug here. Shane. Yeah. Go for it. I know I promoted my OnlyFans several times, but this is actually. <laughs> go on, shameless plug. Go on, second one of the day. Go on. Um, so we're actually hosting a webinar series at the moment, which is covering everything to do with binge eating. Uh, so it's like a three-parter. So it's what is binge eating, why we do it, and overcoming it. And one of our coaches, um, Lisa, who is like unbelievable, like amazing, like she's essentially the encyclopedia on all of this. She's your Dallas. Um, yeah, she is. She's Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Stephen Dallas. Um, she discusses uh, the binge eating or the binge, the binge eating fighting toolbox, um, I guess, in her part of the webinar series. Um, and I just wanted to highlight some of the stuff that, that kind of she included in the, in the, in her part. Cause I think it's just um, brilliant. So she discusses, all of these and more. So understanding your hunger, you know, is it physically or emotionally driven is important. Um, Being able to identify your emotional triggers of a binge. So being aware of your emotional state and sort of what you're feeling as it's leading into it. And very often, again, it's almost like someone's turned up a speaker very slowly throughout the day. And that's what ends up causing it. You know, it becomes the point where, a very quiet notion of a binge then becomes this all-consuming, suffocating thought that you can't get rid of. And that can come on slowly or it can come on really immediately for some folks. Um, 
part of her toolkit is also moving away from really rigid rules around food. Uh, so like not having bread after like six o'clock in the evening for whatever reason, which we know is actually the key to successful weight loss. Um, stop laughing at me. This is... <laughs> Uh, so it's moving away from rigid food rules and more towards uh, guidelines. So a guideline example would be focusing on a predominantly nutritious diet, whilst also allowing yourself foods that may have previously uh, that you may have previously restricted or thought of as bad um, within sort of moderation, and if you wish to have them. So these fear foods then become a choice food and a food which you have control over in a different sense. Um, and it's kind of what we spoke about before. It's like your diet is supposed to uplift all aspects of your health. Um, and that includes your physical, mental, and social. So it's not just about chasing a six pack all the time or whatever else it could be. You know, there's a lot more to life than, than that. Um, and quite honestly, from someone who's achieved a six pack, um, you know, once you get there and realize that it doesn't instantly make you feel happy, that's probably a lot worse than the alternative, which is chasing it. Yeah, been there. Yeah, shit. It's shit I say, I've, I've got a 24-pack now, so I'm absolutely ripped. <laughs> mind. It's, uh, you give up 90% of your life for 10% body fat. It's fucking shit crack. Yeah. Or you're like me and give up 99% of your life to be 1% body fat. And... 150 kilos lean muscle. I'm basically Dwayne Johnson. But you're missing the baldness. Less hand, less bald. But I might be taller, so who's winning? I think he's 6'5". You're only 6'2". Says me, the hobbit over here. I don't know. Nah, I think that's Photoshop. <laughs> what? The, the actual physical height? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm a better actor than Dwayne too. I'm not going to say anything in case he listens to this, him and Gwyneth. Yeah, I'd be more worried about what Gwyneth would do than Dwayne. Dwayne's a big cuddly bear. I'm not, I'm, not re- I'm, not ready. I'm not quite ready for the old lawsuits from uh, Gwyneth or The Rock, so let's uh, continue. I'll fight Gwyneth anytime. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to fight The Rock. Me and Gwyneth do the boxing match. It's become popular. That would be good. I'd pay this. I'd, I, I'd watch that. Yeah, I'd very happily box Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Okay. I think that might be the only one I, I might actually have a chance of winning. You're more than happy, you're more than welcome to fight the rock if you're on the special on the special guest referee. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so bad at staying on topic. Oh, you're, you're you're brutal. But I think I, I think we need to go off this point because I think yeah. uh, okay. there's one there's one big oh, can I speak about just one more point just because it's one that you talked about. If it's anything to do with Gwen Paltrow, no. <laughs> No, so Gwyneth, Gwyneth is not out of the conversation, but please also say your prayers for Gwyneth because she ended up eating bread the other day. Um, <laughs> so the, the kind of the last point I, I, I want to highlight a part of, um, I don't want to say everything that Lisa talks about in the webinar series because that's not a shameless plug. That's just... Just keep plugging. Just throwing everything away. Um, it's also to highlight the importance of self-compassion and the narrative you you have towards yourself at any given time which is something that like we both spoke about ourselves but also something you speak about very frequently um is the need to 
not be an arsehole to yourself because it doesn't get you anywhere. But it's very hard because it's usually programmed in there from a very early age. And yeah. again, culture reinforces that. Um, you know, uh, as kind of we've spoken about, a negative emotional state is the culprit for virtually all episodes of binging. Um, and binging itself is kind of like this negative feedback loop. So we binge because we feel bad and we feel bad because we binge and that negative self-talk gets worse over time. So practicing compassion and self-empathy might actually allow us to break that chain, you know, and avoid a cycle of binges, which can last for days, you know, if not weeks. And you see that with people all the time, you know, where one binge suddenly becomes 10, 15, 20, you know, to the point where the self-talk becomes so critical and their emotional state is takes such a drop that you might see them, you know, do something very, um, very serious at that stage, you know, and, and obviously anorexia is, is the, uh, the eating disorder with the highest rate of mortality. And that's part of the condition itself. Obviously, you know, you can start yourself to death that does happen. Um, but the rate of suicide among eating disorders uh, is very, very high, very prevalent. And it's important uh, to, to acknowledge how, how critical breaking that cycle is with self-compassion, with um, being empathetic to yourself. And if you can't do it in that moment, then seek out someone who can give you that non-judgmental space to speak into, who can be objective, who can help you understand it better because it's so, so, so important. Like I know it, it sounds like I'm being dramatic, but it can genuinely save people's lives if, if your immediate response is not just to react and give them arbitrary advice, just allow them to talk, allow them to open up, don't judge what they've done and just give them space because they don't have any space in their own heads anymore because it's just filled up with all these thoughts about how shit they are, essentially. So that's me being professional. So now we'll, we'll, we'll tone it back down again no, but I think, but I think what you've said there about the whole the the, because I know when, when from being at my lowest point, that the fear was the judgment. But you also have to realize that if it's someone that, and I think it's also important to find the right fit for you with the person yeah. that you're going to. Because I was very lucky with Jaren. Jaren was the first person I ever went to, but she also used to compete, so she had her own things, and I never realized that until probably session three or session four. And I was very lucky with that regard. But I know also know that I've, I've had clients who have gone to talk to mental health professionals and they haven't been comfortable with them after one session. There's also the other side of things is, all right, I'm, from clients who have had the whole thing of not have, being happy with the person, uh, they may not be listening. That also could be a point of that they may not be ready to share everything that they have and they may not be ready at that point. And that's also a huge element of it as well. Because you're not going to like everyone that you come across, but you do have to be comfortable with the person that you're talking to. And that's a very, very different person. You don't have to go out for a pint, a pint with your counselor or whoever you're talking to. But you do have to be able to open up. And the first session is always a discovery session. And that's the hardest part. Those yeah. first two or three sessions are make or break for a lot of people. Because like I've had one bad experience with the counselor and then you're like, I'm never going to go in because that one person's ruined it. It's so tough because you need to, the hardest part is when it doesn't work out yeah. and you have to go back and try again because you've already kind of opened you've yourself up. Yeah. 
So the first time you open yourself up and it's almost like you get rejected in a way because it doesn't work, then it's so it takes a lot more courage to go back again and to go back again and to go back again until you find the right person. It's like a relationship. Yeah, that's the, essentially it's like it's like dating. Yeah. You know, but you're kind of living in a constant abusive relationship at the same time. In your head. It's, it's really, really tough. Like we said ourselves, like I went myself to a counselor in what? Uh, 2017, 18, when I was studying my master's and they literally read off the clipboard questions, not even looked at me. And I walked out after 10 minutes and didn't go back. I, I couldn't honestly muster up the courage to go back and talk to someone until three years later. You know, and I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I had it gone and done it the week after and just ripped the plaster off. But it's so hard, like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, and especially if people, if your environment isn't conducive to supporting that, like if, if you live in a home where your parents are, you know, playing down your emotions and, you know, you don't feel like they're kind of telling you that it's not as serious as it is, or you live with a partner who doesn't fully understand it. And so, um, you know, tries to, again, play it down in a similar sense, then it's, it's becomes even harder then to want to reach out and seek support because you're almost, you know, do I deserve it? Do I need it? Am I, you know, it's just, it's very difficult. So it is, it is very difficult. So, yeah, I do think, um, it is important to like the environment that you are in is so, so undervalued because if you're in the, in the environment where it's not supportive, you don't feel like you have somewhere else to turn. And that's very hard. And especially when you turn to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then you feel because you can't even verbalize it to yourself and the stuff that you're saying to yourself is a negative stuff and you can't even get the positive stuff that you want to say if there's any positive in there. For some people, it's very hard to even say that the line between the two is that you don't know where to look. But I think it's important for people to realize that there is support out there. It's just about putting the olive branch out. And that's the hardest part because you're afraid of getting judged. You're afraid of the, like the ego is at play as well. You're going to get judged. You're going to get put down. You're going to get uh, shunned out of society for, for having something, but it's not having something. It's something that's more common than a lot of people do realize. You could look at someone up on social media and say that's body goals, but you've no idea what's going on internally. And that's the problem with social media is you're looking at the people, say some of the influencers and some of the people who have been on the podcast have openly spoken about their stuff. Alex London, uh, one of the, she's, 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 she's part of getting, of, of getting the campaign to get the Minister of uh, Mental Health in the UK. She was part of that campaign. So she's doing incredible work, but she's gone through the one extreme, has gone through having to go from cancer to cancer to cancer, fear of being judged. And now she's more comfortable and once again putting out a positive message. But you also have to realize that not everyone wants wants or needs to have to put out their their stuff out on social media. It can be for you, writing stuff down and even using the fact the opinion stuff as well. Like there's so many tools that are out there. It's just about picking up whatever tool works for you. Um 
as well. And the negative self-talk is something that is very easy to default into. Negative thoughts are like are like Velcro, they stick. The positive thoughts are like Teflon, they slide off and they don't attach to anything. Um, the last question I'm going to talk to you about is, I think this is a statement and I love it because it's hugely beneficial, is the food you eat on bad days, you should be having these on good days too because this is a psychological thing and I would like you to talk. The statement sounds familiar, Shane. Who said that? Uh, I think it was a guy, uh, Wamey Dreit. <laughs> Legend. Iconic. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's, he's a wise man. That yeah, goes right. off on tangents very quickly. <laughs> Have you got an OnlyFans account? Send me a link. I like <laughs> Patreon. Oh, straight up. I'd be on that. I'd be one of those, what do you call it? Like gold diamond donors? The gold fit, gold member. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be sending money and pictures of my feet as well, just to see if you respond. Oh, nice feet. Yeah, everyone's in the nose. Uh, yeah, so again, immediately went off on a tangent. <laughs> I teach you up to go. So I would sincerely apologize. This is a very like serious episode, but we've brought in some lightheartedness into the matter. And I would like to thank Jamie for that. In a totally professional way. Totally yes. Professional. Um, so yeah, so... Um, the, so as Shane kind of said there, so the food that you eat on your bad days is the same food that you should be having on good days too. And I think it's just that statement kind of represents that your relationship with food and yourself is a continuous effort. You know, with cars, you get them serviced regularly. You know, you go for your MOTs at least once a year. You know, it's the same with yourself. You don't wait until the wheels fall off to address it. It's something that you work on every single day to ensure and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you focus on 24 7 you know but if it's passively sort of allowing yourself to enjoy a food or you know going out for a social event and focusing on the experience as opposed to the foods themselves you know and, and just embracing food for being more than just this vehicle for weight management which it's absolutely not you know, food offers us so much more. And you only have to look at how much we've incorporated into our culture and our society as well as even just the base physiological responses. Like we have a dopamine response when we eat food because it makes us feel good. It's a good thing, you know. And normal eating is enjoying food, believe it or not. You know, disordered eating is when food becomes an extension of abuse or a coping mechanism for feeling bad. Um and i think as well just to kind of have a final point on it like those foods that you eat in your bad days are typically the bad foods and it's that arbitrary stamp of morality on foods that sort of leads into people developing these like really rigid rules around them as well like i can't have that chocolate because it's bad why is the chocolate bad? And no one can answer that question. Like if I said to someone, if you had a chocolate bar in the afternoon and it stopped you from having a binge that night, is the chocolate still bad? They'd be like, uh, no. So then why, why is it a bad food? It's not a bad food. Like all foods. Let me tell you, I spent 40 odd grand on qualifications. I love food. Food is great. And this is coming from someone who had the best part of 20 odd years with disordered eating problems and I still love food because food's great food's awesome like 
you know, um, it's it's my career. It's my passion. I love cooking it. I love, I definitely love eating it. Tell you that. Um, and I think, you know, to stamp morality on it, just because someone on social media has done it, I know that's a temptation, but like to let you in on the secret, most people on social media are pretty stupid. Like, not me and Shane, but most people on social media are, are pretty stupid and are not even stupid, but maybe just ignorant because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to buy into something so they can either sell themselves, you know, not, not only fans way, but like sell themselves as like a personality or sell a diet to you. You know, how many diets are based around restricting a certain food type because of X, Y, Z reason? Like it's just nonsense. So yeah, I guess in a nutshell, the same cookie you enjoy in your shit days is the same cookie you should enjoy in your good day because it's still the same awesome cookie every single day of the week. You mentioned about the chocolate and I think what can be said and has been said to me, um, I think I had a rant on a post last night that I'm addicted to sugar or I'm addicted to chocolate. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, that's not a thing. That's, that's like my hairline. It doesn't exist. Um, it's because the person is potentially viewing it as a negative or you seeing the food as a negative. It's they're like, oh, I'm, I'll reward myself for having this day. Or if we see it as a reward, we see it as a punishment. There's no, there's, that's, that's the thing. You have to look at it. There's, there's always a positive to a negative. So if you view it as a reward for something doing on a Friday night, you're going to view it as a negative when you're down. Uh, that's where the good the, the 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 disparity happens for a lot of people you're not addicted to sugar so generally what's happening is you are if you were addicted to sugar you'd have a nose full of sugar and you would be eating fruit you'd be injecting yourself with raisins or something because or bananas or yogurt yeah they're just pure sugar yeah. like it's never it's never the food or the nutrient itself it's what you're chasing with it like, yeah. yes, there's a dopamine response, but, you know, it's not just sugar. Like, it's the highly palatable foods that we've kind of associated with more of, like, it's not even an addictive tendency. It is that coping mechanism because I can guarantee you the same people who say they're addicted to sugar probably feel pretty shit about themselves. So what are the foods that you turn to when you're feeling shit about yourselves? More carbohydrate-rich foods and more fatty foods and more processed foods. Yep. So, so it's it's it's, yeah. It's that, it's that addiction to that high that the food is giving, which is generally what a lot of people, it's kind of soothing the emotion that's behind it. And I think it's important to get to the emotion. And a lot of people don't want to dig into that emotion because it's rammed down for so long, unfortunately. And from someone who has been at that low point and from Jamie who has been at the low point, it's, it's uncomfortable as fuck. But once you get to that uncomfortable point, it allows you to live the life that you actually want to do. And I think that's an important message. I know we've been kind of faffing around and messing around a little bit on this episode, but I do think it's important that like there are support mechanisms, there are support groups, there are people that people can go and talk to. And I think ho- I, the whole point of this episode was that people do realize that there is support out there, that it is, it's important for you to go and talk and, and put the put the feelers out, send that email today, or send that, make that phone call today. If it's not a phone call, send an email. If it's not an email, send a DM or whatever it may be and make contact with someone today and just make the first step, put one foot in front of the other. You may get a knockback. 
I'm not going to tell you you're not going to get a knockback because I'm not one of those people that's just going to say it's going to be a straight line of progress. You may get a knockback, but the important thing is that you try. The only thing I can guarantee is that if you don't try, nothing's really going to change. And if you're uncomfortable right now, nothing will change. Yeah. And like, just like Shane said, like, I can't encourage people enough to go and seek the support and stop either living a life distracted by it or be too hesitant to go and actually face it. Because honestly, it's like for most people who live with kind of like a disordered relationship with themselves or with food or with exercise, it's like living a life in a prison cell for the best part. And actually facing it and overcoming it is like someone opens up that jail cell for you and you actually get to be free. And it's the best feeling ever. And I can't, I can't describe it any better than the minute that you sit down in the sofa after a long day's work and you get that instant sigh of just, and it's the most content you'll ever feel. So it's, it's like, big, it's, it's, like big, it's from your chest. Yeah. It's not like a big fireworks display or anything like that. No. It is the most content form of peace you'll ever have, but you only get there through hard work, not through another stupid ass fucking diet. Basically. No. You can't die. You can't die your way to uh, to clarity on things. Um, yeah. Keto is not the way. <laughs> Keto will make you worse. Poop is not the way. Um, is the way. <laughs> only fans is. Um, <laughs> I'm a group sponsored athlete. <laughs> um, Jamie, where can people find your group? And where can people find your only fans account? Where can people find? Uh, out about the, the webinar series uh, and where can people find out about your coaching? Uh, I'm not too sure if anyone wants to find out about it anymore. After, <laughs> <laughs> after all this, they're probably like, yeah, we need to actually phone the police on him. He's a bit mental. Um, if, you, if you do want to, if, if you are that way inclined to actually want to put up with me a bit more, um, you can find me on social. So Jamie's Diet Guide is is my instagram account and that's sort of where we put most of our stuff up um there's also the business one which is balance underscore ie um and then if you want to check out our coaching or the webinar series um which is currently open for registration at the moment um you can go on balance ie which is all one word.com um and there'll be plenty of information there and you can always just shoot me a message so you can and um, i'm happy to answer i think like there's We've spoken about an awful lot, like binge eating, emotion eating, overindulgence, the boat analogy, does the size of the binge matter, calorie tracking and disordered eating. Uh, we talk about kind of like the binge eating toolbox. And I know you're reluctant to give all the way the secrets um, and the food you have on bad days and good days. Uh, we've spoken about a lot of other random tangents, which have absolutely no relevance to fitness or nutrition <laughs> in anyway. <laughs> but we knew that was going to happen. And Dallas, if you're listening, I love you. Sorry, Dallas. <laughs> uh, Jamie thank you so much for, for coming on pleasure Shane thanks very much for having me